Darren, for reading that so clearly for us. Hello, everybody. Great to be with you this morning. If you would like to keep that passage open before you, that would be a great help. And also, you might have one, one of the handouts with an outline of where we're going. That might be a help to you as well. Oh, well, as we begin, shall we pray and ask for God's help? Father in heaven, we echo those wonderful words that we just sung, uh, sang in that song. Uh, please let your spirit shine into our hearts and teach us. Please open up our eyes with your truth to free us, light to chase the lies. Lord Jesus, we pray that we'd meet you in your word today. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I think people talk a lot today about having goals, um, especially at this time of year. Um, people are asking me, you know, what are your goals for 2024? And uh, I don't know if you're like me, but I, I struggle to have goals. <laughs> They're like, what are your goals? I don't know, get to the evening, maybe? Uh, it's difficult. But here's a question for us today. What should our goals be individually as Christians, but also as a church for 2024, as we've got the sort of chasm of the year opening up? in front of us? What should be our goals as a church? Well, rather than coming up with one ourselves, the wonderful thing today is that God is going to give us his goal for us today. In this, in this psalm, it's a beautiful goal, and it's in the key verse of this psalm, which is verse 12. Would you look at that with us? I think we've got it on the screen as well. It says, So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Here's our goal for 2024, that God would teach us to number our days so that we would get a heart of wisdom. And that sounds good, doesn't it? But what does that actually mean? Let's break it down a little bit. Firstly, what does it mean to number our days? Well, it, it doesn't mean that we should just learn how to literally count out the number of days that we've been alive. Um, I actually did that this week. And uh, today, I have been alive for 15,876 days. I don't know what you're going to do with that figure. Um, but there it is. That's not what this passage is talking about. It's not saying, look, count out how many days. Nor is it saying, try and predict how many days you've got left. Because how do we know, right? As if we could ever predict that with any level of certainty. No, what the, what the psalmist, and, and it's Moses who's writing this psalm, what he's, he's saying here, to number our days means to have an eternal perspective on our lives. An eternal perspective. It means recognizing that God is completely in control of our lives, every day of our lives, ordaining in his wisdom the day that we're born, all that happens in between, and the day that we die. Do you get the idea? It's get the sense that our days are in his hands. Not only that, but it means realizing that actually life is short. That we are finite, mortal human beings. That we stand every day, as it were, on the brink of eternity. It means realizing that one day God will judge the world when Christ returns. That judgment is coming. That, you know, our world says it just, time is just going to roll on and billions of years will happen and then the sun will crash into the earth. And 
And you just get the sense at times, no, actually, our days are numbered. Not only that, but it means recognizing that each day we have, if we number our days, we will recognize that each day we have is a gift from the Lord to be used in the wisest way for him and his glory. Does that make sense? To make the most of every opportunity each day to glorify Christ. I think Paul says something similar to this idea of the Christian in the New Testament, in Ephesians 5. Um, you don't have to look it up now, I'll just read it out. Ephesians 5.15 says, Paul says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Get the sense, isn't it? It's the same sort of idea that's being picked up in the New Testament. And when we do that, when we do number our days in this way, according to verse 12, we gain a heart of wisdom. Interesting, that phrase, isn't it? I I would have written it, uh, you get a mind of wisdom. But it's not. He says that you gain a heart of wisdom. Not just a mind of wisdom that sort of knows the right way to go, but a heart of wisdom that wants to go the right way. When we number our days, we gain a heart of wisdom. You know, as I was preparing this sermon, I I couldn't help but think of... um, I couldn't help but think of Mikey Williams. Now, Mikey, uh, if, you, if you were here for, uh, years ago, he was a ministry trainee here, um, and then he went to serve as assistant minister at St. Nick's, and we pray for St. Nick's quite often, don't we? Now, as many of you, uh, many of you know, uh, Mikey got really sick uh, in 2022, and he passed away. Very tragic. But the wonderful thing is, before he passed away, he was a wonderful Christian guy, as you know, shining Christian. I had the privilege of speaking to him on FaceTime um, not long before he passed. And what struck me in that conversation was that I was a bit nervous. <laughs> you know, you know how am I going to say? Um, what struck me was his calmness, his kind of trust that, that his life was in God's hands. That he knew he was safe from judgment because of Jesus. And he was making the most of every opportunity even though he was sick and in, in the hospice, he was, he was uh, telling the doctors and nurses about Jesus and trying to find every opportunity he could. And the reason I mention him is because he's a, a great uh, example to me of um, someone who's numbering his days, making the most of every opportunity. <clears throat> and that's what, that's what we, we really need, isn't it? Not just more money or cheaper energy. That wouldn't, that wouldn't be bad, actually. Um, not just better interest rates than our mortgages or better work conditions. Not just a fitter body, although that wouldn't be bad either. <laughs> what we really need is to learn to number our days and to gain a heart of wisdom. That's our goal, 2024. Now, the question is, how can we learn to number our days. How can we have this eternal perspective? Um, Well, verse 12 is a prayer. Did you notice? This this whole psalm, if you look at the the title, is a a psalm of Moses, the man of God. It's great, isn't it? We're doing this at the end of an an Exodus series. Uh, So we kind of feel familiar with Moses if, if we've been here for that series. 
And the point of it being a prayer is that we can't arrive at this uh, heart of wisdom without God, without God's help. It's not something we can just sort of study and then arrive, arrive, arrive at. How do we get there? Well, the whole rest of this psalm is teaching us how to get there, how to number our days. And so you get a heart of wisdom. Lesson one, and it's on the screen and on your sheet. How do we get a heart of wisdom? Firstly, remember who God is, the everlasting God. Just look with me at verse one. Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you'd formed the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. See, this is the first lesson to learn who God really is. I think that's the temptation, isn't it? As, as the world gets, gets to us and the pressures get on, we can sort of close our eyes to who God really is and our view of him diminishes over time. What this is saying is that, no, like Paul said last, last week, no, lift your eyes to the Lord. See who he really is. Look what it says. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is the God who is from eternity past to eternity future. Now, this is weird, but I was talking with my kids about 1998 the other day. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, maybe it's because it was the year I went to university or something like that. But anyway, 1998 was a vintage year. <laughs> it was the year that Google was founded, Apple, Mac, uh, sorry, Apple unveiled the iMac, and the Titanic became the highest-grossing film of all time. See? Told you, 1998. Now, hands up here in this room if you, if you were alive in 1998. All right, that's most of you. But actually, not all of you, right? Now, if, let's go back to... Um, I'm looking at Alex here. If we go back to... Not 1998, but 1898. Hands up if you existed in 1898. No. There we go. We don't go back very far, and none of us existed at all. That is not true with God. You can can go back 100 years, you can go back a million years, you can go back a billion years, God is there. There was never a time when he was not. He's not like us. You know the highest mountain in the world? What is it? Everest, right? Do you know how tall it is? In old money. It, it's 8,846 meters. Um, now, I, if I prepared properly, I'd have had a picture of it. But just imagine the biggest mountain in the world. Can you imagine it? It's like snowy at the top. It's Mountain ranges, impossible to get to the top unless you're amazing. Um, and you, you, you look at something like Mount Everest and you think, wow, that, that's just so permanent, isn't it? We come and go, but Everest is there, permanent. But actually, before Everest was, God was. See in our verse, before the mountains were brought forth, or you'd form the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So God is more permanent than Mount Everest. He is everlasting and unchanging. And that is why Moses in this psalm can say that God has been his people's 
uh, dwelling place. Do you see that in verse 1? His dwelling place. Their dwelling place. Or refuge. Their safe place. Not just in his generation, but in every generation. Because he is the eternal and unchanging God. And that is great news for us, brothers and sisters, because that means he can be our dwelling place too. He can be our refuge. He can be our safe place. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Which is great news because it means that whatever comes your way in 2024, no no matter how fiery or painful or, or scary it might be, we can always run to the Lord as our refuge. He is our dwelling place. And he always will be. You know, we live in an ever-changing world, don't we? Did you know, in 2024, 75% of the world's democracies are going to have major elections? This year. That's quite something, isn't it? 75% of the world's population in democracies are going to have elections. That's a lot of people with a lot of change, probably, coming up. And isn't it great to know that even though we live in an ever-changing world, we know a God who never changes and who can be our dwelling place in every generation. That's a great comfort. So how do we learn to number our days? Well, first lesson is we have to remember who God is. He is the one who is everlasting. But secondly, in order to learn to number our days, we need to, this is lesson two on the screen and on your sheets, we need to remember who we are. Fragile and fallen. This is quite a big section, verses 3 to 11. So the first thing we see is that we are fragile. We are dust. Look at verse 3. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. We are but dust. We are mortal. We are finite. We are limited. Perhaps Moses had Genesis 3, which he also wrote in his mind as he penned these words. He remembers that God is from everlasting to everlasting, but we are but dust, right? As God said in Genesis 3, for dust you are, to dust you shall return. You know, we, we go through times, don't we, where uh, sometimes our bodies fail us, and uh, I think that happens increasingly, <laughs> As the, uh, as the years roll on. And I, I know that m- many of you kind of feel that, particularly. Um, and, and, and I don't wish to minimize that in any way, because it, it, when, our, when we get sick or injured, it, it is painful and horrible. But it's also useful. And, and the reason I say it's useful is because it's in those times that God reminds us that we are, we are dust dustiness to us, and that we are uh, fragile creatures. That's a good lesson to learn sometimes. I I think when I I was young, if I can say that, like Adele, when I was young, I was like, you're you're not old, Adele. When I was young, I I pretty much used to think I was invincible. Did you ever kind of feel that way? end up doing very silly things. (laughs) Why? Because we think we're invincible. Actually, God has been 
teaching me and probably been teaching you over time is your fragility. Frailty. And that's a good thing because it helps me to appreciate how other God is, how different God is. We are fragile, we're like dust, but also we're fragile, we're like, we're like grass. Look at verse 5, or halfway through verse 5. It says, like, it says, describing mankind, it says, like grass that is renewed in the morning, in the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. Do you remember, was it last summer it got really hot? Was that last summer or the summer before? Summer before, the 39 degree, that one. Do you remember what the grass looked like at that time? It was dead. It was brown. It was yellow, wasn't it? Um, but sometimes, in the mornings, if, if you're up early enough, <laughs> the, the dew would come down. There's always a bit of dew. And I think the grass would sort of, sort of rally a little bit, become a little bit less dead. Um, but that kind of would soon very quickly evaporate, right? And then just go back to being brown again. And that is how the Bible describes our entire life. A bit like grass that sort of flourishes for a little bit, a bit of dew, and then, and then we're gone. Very humbling, isn't it? Um, but that's the picture here. We're fragile, we're like dust, we're like grass. But not only are we fragile, but we're also fallen. We live in a fallen world. Just look at verse 9 and 10. These are, these are sobering words. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Ah. <laughs> the years of our life are 70, or by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. I don't think I can add very much to that. You know, I think it's easy when um, it's easy, I think, growing up in this age that we do, where everything's very instant and everyone's trying very hard to make things easy for you, um, to get the assumption that life should be easy. Right? Oh, if I just do the right thing and I, and, I, and I work hard and I'm wise enough and I'm kind enough, everything should be okay. Life should be easy. Whereas actually, I think this verse is saying, we should expect life to be hard. It's nice when it's easy, <laughs> but it's rare, isn't it? Toil and trouble, it says. Well, why is that? Well, it wasn't that way in the Garden of Eden, was it? Before Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God, it was perfect. There was no struggle, there was no toil and trouble, there was no death. But now we live in a world that is cursed, cursed because of sin. And so this is our joint experience. It doesn't matter who you are or income level or educational background or, or whatever, we all live in this fallen world together, don't we? And it's under the, the curse, the judgment of God. So that's the first thing we see. We're, we're fallen. We live in a fallen world. But not only do we look, kind of generally live in a fallen world, but we ourselves personally are fallen in our thoughts and our attitudes and our actions. Um, have a look at verse 7. 
For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Now naturally, without Christ, these words, I think, would be crushing for us, wouldn't they? We are those who are fallen. We are sinful. We deserve God's wrath. There are no secret sins that we can hide from him. And yet this is why the good news of the gospel is such great news. Because we can thank God for sending us a saviour, Jesus, who even though we should have been brought to an end by God's righteous anger, yet he was brought to an end instead on the cross for us. Taking the anger that we deserved if we trust in him. You see, God set our iniquities onto him, onto Jesus. And he paid for them all, even our secret sins. Isn't that wonderful? The sins that we, we are so ashamed of and would hate anyone else to know. He can completely atone for, for those sins through his blood shed on the cross. So that instead, for us, instead of being dismayed, we might be overjoyed and have forgiveness and stand before the throne of God clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Isn't that amazing? You see, instead of death having the last word over us, Jesus will have the last word over us if we're trusting in him. He gives us eternal life because of his death-busting resurrection. So you see that we are fragile and fallen, and yet God has had such mercy on us, hasn't he? Lavished us with his, his grace. And all that should help us to number our days, shouldn't it? Help us realize that we, we, we are fragile and fallen, we deserve wrath, but because of Christ we have hope. And that should help us to number our days. Finally, we number our days by learning to pray. And that's the third lesson for us. Remember to pray. This is verse 13 to 17. So in these verses, it's kind of a list of, of Moses praying. And I think he's modeling prayer for us. These are, these are wonderful things. These are glorious things. To, to pray. Do you have a struggle in your prayer life? I do. I, I don't know what to pray sometimes. Here are some amazing things. Here's what to pray. It's a bit of a shotgun list, so I'm going to kind of fire them out. But hopefully one or two will kind of really resonate with, with each of you and you can take that home with you today. First thing to pray for is pray for Jesus' return and don't get short-sighted. Look at verse 13. Return, O Lord. How long? Have pity on your servants. Do you ever feel like you just want to escape this world? Do you ever get that feeling? I've had enough of this. <laughs> I've had enough. Um, that's not a wrong desire, actually. As Christians, we should have a sense that here is not where our true home is and that when our Saviour returns, he's going to take us to where we truly belong, right? It's, and it's so easy to get short-sighted in this world, particularly when we suffer or um, we get consumed by the things of this world. And that's why it's so good for our hearts to pray and to cry out, Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. We pray, come, Lord Jesus, please come soon. Please take me home. Let's be praying for Jesus' return. Secondly, verse 14, let's be praying 
to be satisfied in God and not settle for the world's imitations. Have a look at verse 14. Satisfy us, says Moses. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. There's a strong sense there, isn't there, that Moses every morning wants to know and feel God's love afresh, right? And that's a, that's a great desire for us too. Um, to want to spend time with God each day in his word. Not because it's legalistically what we have to do, I've got to read the word, because I want to know his love. I want to know what he's done for me in Christ. I want to feel that. I want, to, I want my heart to be warmed. You know in Formula One, any Formula One fans here? One. Okay, great. Some unexpected ones, maybe. Do you know what they have on the race? That are, um, the, they've got uh, the, the round thing, uh, wheels. <laughs> Going well. Uh, the, round, the wheels of the car, they don't, they don't just put them on the car cold. Do you know what they do? Someone in Formula One. Tire warmers. Tire warmers. They heat up the rubber so you can put it on hot ready to go. And when we come to the Bible each morning, like, like Moses wanted to do, and this is a great thing to kind of want to carve out time each day. It could be in the morning, it could be in the evening, but to kind of want to, that, to have that each day is like putting the tire warmers on our hearts. Because, you know, sometimes I wake up a bit grumpy. You ever get that? <laughs> or I come home a bit grumpy. Um, but God's word is like a tire warmer. It's like, come on, come on. No, yeah, see Jesus, see his love. See the cross afresh. Be satisfied in God. Don't settle for the world's imitations. Next one, verse 16. Told you it's shotgun. Next thing to pray for. Pray to, go, pray to go deep into the gospel and don't be satisfied with a shallow understanding. Look at verse 16. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. You know, shallow Christianity is, is, is fine when things are going well in life. But only the deep doctrines of the gospel are able to hold us up like buttresses on a church when real trouble comes. You know, it's, like, it's okay to dine on sweets if, if uh, you haven't got much to do. <laughs> but if you've got real work to do, you need a proper meal, Right? And so that's why we, want to, we don't just want to settle with a sort of surface understanding of the gospel. We want to go deep, get those deep doctrines which will feed our souls, especially when time is tough. Those are the things that will hold us when, when life goes really hard. The wonderful thing about the gospel is that um, it once described to me, as it's, it's, uh, you might have heard this, it's shallow enough for, for a child to paddle in, and yet deep enough to drown an elephant. Have you heard that before? And that's a, wonder, that's a wonderful thing. So the gospel is accessible for the youngest child to paddle in and enjoy. And yet we, as grown-up, I think we're on the way to grown-upness in this room, or we are there already, it's deep enough to drown in. We never move on from the gospel, we just want to go deeper into it. Let's be praying we go deeper into the gospel, not be satisfied with a shallow understanding. And then, next one, and last one. Pray for God's strength to serve. 
and don't do it. Don't try and do it on your own. It's great to hear at the beginning of the new year, isn't it? Maybe feeling like, oh, we're active, we're going to do stuff. Well, let's remember to pray first. Look at verse 17. Let the favor of the Lord God be upon us. Establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Ah, I think I've observed that there's a great danger in the Christian life. As you kind of go on um, with the Lord and you get more involved in church life and you kind of get busier and busier doing things for God, I find it's, it's easy to just get on with it and not to pray. Do you find that? Just, it's another time I've got to teach or another time I'm doing something practically. There's that great danger that we just start subtly relying on ourselves and maybe we've done it before, so I'll do it again. But actually we need to pray. We need to pray for God's strength to serve, not try to do it on our own. Remember, Jesus said, without him we can do nothing. I think this is a great, a great thing for us to hear as a church, particularly as we go into 2024. There's a lot to do, isn't there, in 2024? <laughs> as we move buildings, as we do stuff, we need to remember to be those that rely on God for his strength, to establish the work of our hands, because without him we can do nothing. So as we conclude, what have we seen today? Brothers and sisters, it's been a joy to walk through this passage with you. As we begin the year... We've got this great goal set before us by God that we need to pray that God would teach us to number our days, that we would have a heart of wisdom. Let's remember who God is this year, the everlasting God. Let's remember who we are, fragile and fallen, yes, but loved and saved by Jesus. We're safe with him. And let's remember not to rely on ourselves, but to be those who are quick to pray and turn to prayer. In fact, why don't we do that now? Let's pray. Our Father, as we look ahead to 2024, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this great and awesome goal that you set before us. Please help us and teach us to number our days that we may gain that heart of wisdom and so give you the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.